0: I'm going to ask you to please stand out of reverence as we hear God's holy and perfect word. This morning's reading comes from 1 Kings 19, verses 4 and then 9 through 12. This is Elijah. While he himself went a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And then 9 through 12. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied. I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. This is the
1: word of the Lord. Well, this is the final in a three-part series we're doing with the journey of overcoming. And by the way, if you want to follow, there's a very uh, brief outline there in your bulletin if you want to uh, follow along with that. Notice how alliterative it is, not just the first letter, but the second one as well. And uh, we're just going to go full throttle traditional Baptist that way. But uh, not always that way, but it just seemed to to fit this go-round. The journey of overcoming these things. We talked about the journey of overcoming fear, and then we talked about last week the journey of overcoming unforgiveness. And really appreciated Lee Baysmore's uh, powerful testimony uh, regarding that. Uh, and today we talk about the journey of overcoming depression, and it was Greg Davis after the first, Greg Davis, how I many you all know Greg, Greg always has something that I wish I could have used in the first sermon, but uh, sometimes I'll use it in the second uh, sermon. And he, he's very bright, as you know, and he'll come up to me, I was thinking about what you said, he always does it, no, you know, Greg, in your sermon, and... Uh, he, he said, think about the word journey, you're an etymologist, you know, what does that mean? He said, do, and I was like, what? Do, and he, I said, oh, do jour, yeah, French, for what? Anybody know? Something of the, what, day, right? And, and, and he said, I think you should, <laughs> I'll stop imitating him, though I love doing it, um, <laughs> but uh, can't get over it. But but he said, you know, that really reminds me that with all of these things that you've been talking about that we struggle with, it's a day-in, day-out kind of thing. Uh, you're not, you cannot fast-forward it and, and on this fast track and get there you know, as quickly as you would like. And we need to remember that as we minister to people, too. Uh, we can't try to fix them too quickly. We need to be their friend. And just keeping that in mind with someone who's struggling with depression, I think, is so vital. And I somehow wanted to connect this with uh, our theme this year, which is what, breathe Holy Spirit moving through me, Holy Spirit moving through me. And, and, and so I started asking the question, uh, not just to describe depression and what it says in, in Scripture about it, but how does the Spirit work through us as we help one another through Depression. Uh, so that's what I want to talk about this morning. Now, let me say, as I said earlier, if you have not experienced uh, first or second hand depression, you will. In fact, I will venture to say that at some point in time in your life, you will experience depression on some level at some significant moment. I think we all do. Now, when you experience that, let me say quickly that does not make you odd or less spiritual or under some divine curse. You know what it does? It makes you human. It welcomes you to the human race. Had a wonderful conversation. Uh, Emma Reeves was here for the first service and had to get back to Mississippi College, but I talked with her for a little while during Sunday school. I don't know if any of y'all have read her blog where she was very open about her battling depression while she's at college. Anybody read that? It is it is great. Um, I, I foresee her doing some amazing stuff as uh, to, to use Henry Nowen's words, a wounded healer for other people. I think she's going to make a great impact on people because not only has she battled through that, she's a marvelous writer. And, but we were talking again about how in the church sometimes our perfectionism works against us because, again, w- what was the original sin anyway? Adam and Eve wanted to be, what, perfect. And, and we need to have a healthier theology of brokenness, I think, in the church. And, and I think that's why we should speak very openly about a depression. And it doesn't mean you're cursed when you deal with it. If you're cursed because you are ever depressed, well, you join in a long line of of leaders of the church. I could literally name hundreds. I will just name three that you have probably heard of. One is Martin Luther. Read many of Luther's works. He's very honest, very candid about the fact when he would say the melancholy would come upon me. He always talked about the, the, the coming mel- melancholy that would overtake him, and he battled depression all of his life. The greatest preacher that England ever produced, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. How many of y'all have heard of, heard of Spurgeon? Uh, battled depression daily. Talk about du jour, daily. And again, he was very honest and open about it. A powerful preacher, but he said one time, I am the subject of depressions of spirit so fearful that I hope none of you ever get to such extremes of wretchedness as I go to. This is, this is the leading preacher of his century. And then, how many of y'all have ever heard of a guy named C.S. Lewis? C.S. Lewis dealt with it, Uh, especially after World War I, and he had some post-trauma related to that, and he went through depressive bouts. And I really appreciate one thing he says in his book, The Problem of Pain, when he differentiates between what he calls mental pain, which includes uh, depression, depression, Uh, as opposed to physical pain. And he says this, mental pain is less dramatic than physical pain, but it is more common and harder to bear. And that is the truth. Uh, The frequent attempt to conceal mental pain only increases the burden. It is easier to say my tooth is aching than to say my heart is broken. I think that's well put. Now, one thing I really celebrate the Bible is that the Bible is fearless And it's honesty about people struggling with the darknesses within themselves, going to those dark corners inside of our souls. Um, Very, very honest about dark human experiences, including depression. I can't help but think of uh, Psalm 88, uh, (laughs) which, you know, you have a lot of psalms of praise. You also have psalms of lament, as many of you know. Psalm 88 is particularly intense, and it ends with these words. Uh, I learned it as darkness is my only companion. LT calls it darkness is my closest friend, end of Psalm. <laughs> Have a good day, you know. I mean, it's that honest, and I think that's so great. I don't know of another holy book of any other religion that is so honest about such things. If you find that, let me know, but I think, don't think you're going to find it. Again, the Bible is fearless and raw about these things, that we go through, but the Bible is just as fearless in its depiction of some of the significant figures in, in the history of the Bible who struggled with depression and we 're going to kind of harken back to different ones along the way here, uh, first of all, Elijah, and we read about Elijah a moment ago, and this is uh, a wonderful modern painting of Elijah at that point when he 's in the cave. he has uh, fled to beersheba he 's run a hundred miles to get there, he is full of nervous exhaustion he 's isolated, and he is no doubt. Depressed. He's really had a loss of perspective. He's really spiritually sick. And I'll never forget uh, Frederick Sampson, who was a marvelous African American preacher in Detroit. And I heard him preach on this passage about Elijah. And uh, after Elijah cries out to God and talks about how depressed he is, and he just wants God to take his life, uh, he, he said, You know what, God probably said to him in so many words was, You know, Elijah, the problem isn't that you're in a cave, but there's a cave in you. And sometimes depression is like that. There's this cavity inside. There's this darkness inside. And really, it reminds me, there's a movie. Does anybody remember the movie Ordinary People? It's from the, I think, late 70s, early 80s. Really powerful movie. Mary Tyler Moore is in it and Donald Sutherland. And Timothy Hutton plays this high school kid who is battling depression. And he goes out with this girl, and the girl asks him, what is that like? What is this depression like? And he says this. It's like falling in a hole. It keeps getting bigger and bigger, and you can't escape. All of a sudden, it's inside, and you're the hole, and you're trapped. It's a good way of describing it, I think. So Elijah was in that hole, and he had become a part of the hole that is the darkness of depression. He had a cave in him. But keep in mind that it wasn't just Elijah who battled depression along the way. Other figures from Scripture, uh, significant figures, battled it. Moses is a great example. Gosh, go to Numbers chapter 11. He was burned out. He was fed up with the people. He told God, if I have found any favor in your sight, please kill me now. I've had enough. And he really is at a point of depression over the burden of leadership. Don't ever think that leaders have it all together and that they never suffer from depression themselves. Being a leader sometimes can isolate you from the people you're trying to lead, and it can be a tough place to be. And Moses is struggling with that sense of isolation. David found himself at points of despair and having bouts of depression. Read some of his Psalms of Lament. Uh, the ones especially when he had to flee from Saul, and then later on when he had to flee from his son Absalom. And and he writes some psalms out of that that they're just gripping in their, their sense of darkness that's surrounding him at the time. Jonah, another great example. Here's a guy who goes to this alien land. It's this terrible transition for him. And by the way, transition can cause depression. You have multiple transitions in your life. That means multiple stress points, and as they layer down on you and impinge upon you, that can become depression out of that. And he's also, Jonah, uh, rather angry uh, with God and with people, and he's kind of turning that anger inward, which can cause depression. And finally, beloved apostle Paul who is at a point of being so overwhelmed, uh, at one point he writes to uh, the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 1. What does he say? I was in such despair that I was what? Despairing of life itself. Paul struggled with depression. Sometimes in my imagination I wonder, you know, I wonder if his thorn in the flesh was depression could well have been. I think he's purposefully vague. We, we, you know, people have argued for centuries what what was it. I think he was purposefully vague, so we can all connect with it w- with whatever weaknesses we're struggling with. But it could have been depression. But later on, as he writes to the Galatians, Galatians six two, we are reminded where he says, "Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ." Which brings us to these three points. You know, what does Scripture say about how the Spirit can work through us as we help? our fellow brothers and sisters, with depression, and what can they do for us when we ourselves are depressed? So let's go to this. First of all, presence. Let's go back to Elijah for just a moment. He's had this spiritual high. Sometimes it's after you've had one of those mountaintop experiences that you just crash down at some point. That's very common. And it happens to him. He has defeated the prophets of Baal, had a great victory and soon after that, Queen Jezebel threatens him, and he is frightened, and he's, he's ashamed of being frightened, but he flees, and he runs 100 miles eventually to Beersheba, and he finds himself there exhausted and isolated, full of, of really spiritual sickness. And, and later on, he goes to Mount Horeb, and he stays in the cave And you all probably know this, there's that passage that Craig read a moment ago where he looks out of the cave, and first of all, there's a great windstorm, I like this modern painting of it, there's a windstorm like in the upper right-hand corner, but God was not in the windstorm, and then there was a great fire, but God was not in the fire, and then there was a great earthquake, you see the jagged opening of earth there and some rocks falling down, but God was not in the earthquake, where was God? You remember, he was in a still, what, still small voice. That's where he finally found God, was in a still, small voice. God came in a small way. But as Annie shared just a moment ago in song, God cares about the small things. And he came to them, to him rather, to Elijah, in a small way. And the important thing was he was there. That's the key. He didn't have to come in some dramatic way. And I think that's important for us to remember When you are helping someone who is depressed, you don't have to be their action hero. You don't have to be their rescuer. You don't have to be their therapist. You don't have to be their pastor. Just be there. Wayne Oates talks about the ministry of presence. That's all you need to do. Uh, Sometimes we risk uh, really uh, not helping but, but hurting more when we try to fill certain gaps with words. When somebody's battling depression. When really, just be there and speak simply. Don't try to give them some profound theological platitudes or anything. It's probably the worst thing you can do. Just be there for them. You remember Job, who went through so much, had so much tragedy come his way in such a concentrated amount of time. And three of his friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, find out about that, and they travel a long way to be with him. But what's the first thing they do? Well, let's go to Job chapter 2, 11 and 13. It says, When three of Job's friends heard of the tragedy he had suffered, they got together and traveled from their homes to comfort and console him. They sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. And look at this. No one said a word to Job, for they saw that his suffering was too great for words. Later on in Romans 8, what does Paul talk about? The groanings of the soul... And the prayers that are too deep for words, but the Holy Spirit understands. We need to keep that in mind. And I know I've talked about this before. I've hammered on this before. But, but, but you know, one of the great ways we can minister to, to each other and be professionals in ministry is to be at peace with the awkward silences. Sometimes you just need to be there for the person. Even if it feels uncomfortable, be there for them. They said nothing because they saw how much he was suffering. And they were just there. I, I, I like 2 Corinthians 7, 6. Sometimes we just kind of pass over this verse quickly. But this is uh, sometime after Paul talks about how discouraged he got, that he despaired uh, for life itself. And, and and what happens? He just says he was encouraged because somebody showed up. But God, who encourages those who are discouraged, like Paul was, encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. And then he goes on. But he, Apparently it just inspired him and lifted his spirits just because Titus showed up and that was it let me put it this way because sometimes we've described ourselves here or let me i'm guilty i'm the one who have described our church as a what it church do you remember anybody know oh i heard it fix it church we're a big fix it church we are problem solvers we want to fix the problem and go to the next one and and, and solve everything and and but we we get into something bad when we're trying to solve a person <laughs> you know don't be a fixer, be a friend Just be a friend. Just be there for them. You know, that's when things started to go south for uh, Job when his three friends, after sitting with him all that time, they started to try to explain to him why they think all this bad stuff happened to him, trying to answer the why question, which usually cannot be answered, right? And that's when things got bad, when they opened their mouths. Sometimes you just got to be there for the people. Just being with them is the best thing, you know. If you can't pull them out of the ditch, just sit in there with them. Ezekiel chapter three, verses fourteen and fifteen. Ezekiel uh, comes along and he finds some Hebrews who are a part of the Babylonian captivity. They've been driven from their homes. They're strangers in a strange land, you know, and they don't know anything. They don't. They don't know anybody. They don't know what to do, and they're just a depressed, a collectively depressed people. And Ezekiel comes upon them. Does he immediately preach to them and say, hey, there's hope in God? No. What does it say? The Spirit lifted me up and took me away. Then I came to the colony of Judean exiles in Tel Aviv beside the Kabar River. I was overwhelmed. And I like the way the old King James says it. And I sat where they sat. And that, that, that captures the Hebrew there. I sat where they sat for seven days. Didn't say much just kind of tapped into that pain they were feeling and empathized as best as I could, you know, and, and I got as close to their pain as I knew how, but I didn't go too far with it. Because again, when we're being honest, only we can only say Jesus is the only person who ever lived who can say, I know exactly how you feel. The rest of us really cannot, but we can try to be with them as close as we can be. But just being there is so Significant. I have a mentor named uh, Frank Tupper who taught me theology at Southern Baptist Seminary. He now, uh, I think he recently retired actually from Wake Forest Divinity School and is back in Louisville, Kentucky. And Frank is on my mind and in my prayers. I would ask that you be praying for him. Uh, A number of days ago, he took a terrible fall which uh, impacted his spinal cord, and he's been uh, lying down in a hospital bed ever since. And, and I don't know if he's going to be paralyzed or not, but he's an amazing man who has impacted a lot of ministers' lives. He definitely impacted mine. Um, and, he, and I took copious notes in his class because it was always so great, but I would sometimes write in the margins things he would say off the cuff. Now, remember one thing he said, and this is, by the way, when he was teaching and his wife was at home dying of cancer But he said this in passing, in passing. He said, When life is darkest, it isn't that God is far away. It is only that we are blinded by the nearness of God. I've never forgotten that. When life is darkest, it isn't that God is far away. It is only that we are blinded by the nearness of God. And, and we need to pray that our depressed brothers and sisters can sense the nearness of God. And when it's hard for them to, we can be God's nearness to them. We can be God's presence by how we are just there for them. Okay, how else can the Spirit work through us as we minister to people who are depressed? Secondly, provision. Now, I'm going to go on and tell you, those of you deep thinkers here, uh, this is going to be the least deep part of what I'm talking about. And yet, I think in many ways it's the most important. It's simple yet profound. I had a bunch of my students turn in uh, papers this week on, uh, on Henry Nowen's book, In the Name of Jesus. Th- they've all said, God, Henry Nowen's just amazing. We love that book. It's so simple but so profound. And I think that is when it comes to God's provision and the way we can be sources of provision for people who are depressed. What am I talking about here? We just do simple things for people who are depressed and yet they can be so profound. What are some of these provisions? First of all, it's the provision of food. Look at First Kings 19, starting at verse 4. It's, this is Elijah saying to God, I've had it. I don't want to be around here anymore. I'm so in the pit of despair. He says, I have had enough, Lord. He said, take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was eating, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some baked bread on hot stones and a jar of water. Uh, some translations say that it was cakes, and I remember teaching this to some kids, and one of the kids, oh, he said, oh, angel food cakes. Yeah, because it's an angel, he's giving it to him. but it wasn't that. Okay, so he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and, food, and the food gave him enough strength. Now again, that is highly, highly significant. Just the fact that that they were provided with food. Now, now, people who are depressed can oftentimes get in these modes where they either eat too little or eat too much. But part of what you can do will be someone who can help them to eat healthy and well. I know we joke around a lot about church folk cooking things for people and taking food to people, but we cannot underestimate how significant that is. Uh, making sure that they just just have the healthy sustenance they need. Um, I've shared before about um, another mentor of mine who meant a great deal to me. His name was Grady Nutt, who was a storyteller. How many of y'all remember Grady Nutt? He used to be on a Hee-Haw and everything, was a great humorist. And that's, that's a good picture of him. His son, Toby, who's looking out at you, uh, Toby and I were baptized together on the same Sunday. And that's Eleanor, his wife, uh, on the right. Uh, some of you know that Grady... Um, had been speaking at a church gathering in Coleman, Alabama, and got in a single-engine plane and took off, and the plane crashed around Vinemont, Alabama, and he was killed. And it was just a sad, sad time uh, for my home church, especially sad time for Eleanor. And out of that uh, tremendous grief that she experienced, she fell into a, a deep bout of depression and uh, was in her house for days, wouldn't get out of the chair and, and do anything. And her good friend Canon Graves came over one day and um, Cannon uh, just opened the door, didn't even knock on the door, just came on in and, and found Eleanor sitting there. And she said, okay, come on, let's go. And she, she pulled Eleanor out of the chair and basically took her to the local grocery and had her arm around her as she was pushing a shop uh, a grocery cart there and said, okay, do you need that? Do you need this? Do you need that? And went up and down every aisle and just loaded that up with good food that she needed to keep going. And as I heard Eleanor recount about that event Years later, she said, I was hungry, and she fed me with her presents and her grocery cart. You know, Don't underestimate the power of simply feeding somebody the food that they need when they're battling depression. Secondly, the provision of a tangible gift of encouragement. You remember when Paul was in a prison at Rome, and the Philippians were worried about him, and they sent a guy named Epaphroditus to take a gift to him. They talk about it in Philippians 4. And Paul writes to them and says, I just love this gift that you gave me. It is a fragrant offering acceptable to God. And and we don't know what it was. It could have been some food that smelled good. Uh, it could well have been some kind of frankincense that he would put on because, I mean, he's in this, this dark cell and it smells bad down there and he would just do that. We really don't know what it was, but the important thing is it lifted his spirits. And, and again, don't underestimate how whatever it's bringing food or fragrant... Flowers or a a, a handwritten note you can send to somebody, it makes an incredible difference. Be creative with whatever talent you have and offer that up to somebody who is in the throes of that spiritual flatness of depression. Thirdly, the provision of home improvements. Uh, When Elijah first got to Beersheba, God gave him shade. Kind of did the same thing with Jonah when he got to Nineveh. He was hot and bothered, literally, and and upset. And God created a shelter for him. Well, you can create shelter for someone by home improvements around the house. Uh, And I've seen people here do that for others. You just clean up the house for them. uh, Fix things for them. You know, build something they need. When someone is depressed, they, they almost become immobilized not physically but 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 spiritually to the point where it's just hard for them to get up and get around and time seems to move a lot more slowly you can help give them that that uh, infrastructure that they need as you do some things around the house there's also the provision of help with practical tasks Uh, God helps provide Elijah and Moses with these first of all he tells Elijah right after Elijah says I've had it what, what does God do? He said, okay, Elijah, here you go. First of all, go, I want you to go and anoint these two uh, kings. That's your first task. And then there's a guy named Elisha, and you need to go anoint him to be your successor. And they can all help you and support you. And so he goes and does that. And so not only does God give him something to do, but he finds people who are going to be supportive of him. Same thing with Moses in, in Numbers chapter 11. When he's had enough and he's had that burden of leadership and he's depressed and burned out, what does God say? Get the elders together, and I'm going to take some of the spirit that is in you and place those gifts of the Spirit on other elders so that you don't have to carry that burden of leadership alone. That's what God says. And indeed, he does just, just that. And it had to have lightened uh, Moses' heart. And he was able to just, just be the prophet that he needed to be and let other people take care of so many things that he was micromanaging. Okay, there's also the provision of rest And let me say, people who are depressed, sometimes they don't get enough sleep. Sometimes they're sleeping too much. And you have to gauge that and kind of discern what they need. But Moses, you know, it says after he and the elders, you know, had that um, event where, where God kind of distributed the spirit of gifts among them, it says they returned back to the camp. The Hebrew there really says they retired to the camp. What that means back then is they went and rested. They, I, w- I would imagine Moses went back and flopped wherever he could and just rested and slept for a good while. A lot of burdens lifted from him. Uh, you might have a place that you can invite someone to go. It can be in your home. It can be uh, out at a lake, whatever it might be, and create a place of respite for somebody or give them a change of venue. And I think especially for people who are just kind of sitting at home and not doing much and they're kind of like I said, spiritually paralyzed by this depression, give them a change of venue. Studies show that that's one of the best things you can do for someone who's depressed is just to get them out of the chair, out of the house, and just take them to a restaurant, to a movie, to the park, wherever it might be, And just let them have that change of perspective that can contribute toward their changing of their perspective about themselves and the state in which they find themselves. Now, these are all simple provisions. I know this. It's not deep dish, but folks, I cannot tell you how significant doing these little provisions for people can be in terms of how it can help them move toward the healing process. Well I finally want to talk about process. A final way the spirit can minister through us as we help people who are depressed is to remind them of God's promise. Let's talk about promise. You know, whether it's depression or some other form of pain that we face, our hope is in Christ and we know that and that is God's promise. Look at Hebrews uh, chapter 10 verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful, talking about Christ himself. So that's our hope. But even as we're hoping day in, day out, du jour, you know, day in, day out, it can be tough one day and then rough the, the next. You, you, when you talk to people who are depressed, they'll even talk sometimes in terms of, well, yesterday was really good. Today's a lot harder. And it can be kind of up and down like this. And that's, that's normal. It really is normal. So you got to be there for them, but but you know more than anything, you need to sometimes if they're having difficulty sensing hope in their lives and seeing hope in their lives, you need to be hope for them. Uh, you know, Galatians two said, "Share your burdens with each other, and in so doing, you obey the law of Christ." I think you need to share your hope with each other as well. Mark Maynell, who's a powerful, powerful pastor and preacher, he's very honest. He has battled clinical depression for the last twelve years. And he's a marvelous senior pastor of a church. And someone asked him, What's the most important thing, most important way you can minister to somebody who's depressed? And he said, When a depressed person has lost hope, the best thing a loving friend can do is hold hope for them. You, you incarnate hope, you emulate hope for them. In his book Stories Along the Journey, a guy named William White wrote about Doctor Hans Rao, who was a prominent European theologian who lost his wife Enid very suddenly to an illness. And he was just overcome with grief and that, that took him down that path into the darkness of depression. And people had not heard from him for a number of days after the funeral, and so the president of the seminary and three other professors went to his door, knocked on it, and Hans answered it, and they went in and sat down. And the first thing Hans said was this, I am no longer able to pray to God. In fact, I am in such darkness, I am not certain I believe in God anymore. I am out of hope. And there was one of those awkward silences that followed. And then the seminary president looked at him and said, Okay, then we will believe for you. We will pray for you. We will hope for you. And those four gentlemen got together every day and prayed for Hans. And they committed to embodying the hope of Jesus whenever Hans might see them along the way. And on occasion they would go and pray for him and just be around with him, even as he journeyed through and still was battling in terms of his faith and how he was responding to the depression. But then months later, they went to see him, knocked on the door. Hans invited them in, and they sat down. And the first thing Hans said was, um, "It is no longer necessary for you to pray for me. Now you can pray with me." He said, "I'm back." You know By believing and hoping for Hans, they helped restore his faith and his hope. And I go back to my uh, friend and mentor Frank Tupper, who is suffering right now um, I remember when his wife Betty uh, died of cancer many years ago, and the first sermon he preached uh, many, many weeks later uh, in seminary chapel was called Peace in the Storm. And I remember toward the end he said, whenever I got to those points where it was just so dark, when I was so spiritually flattened, he said when it got to those points where I didn't feel like I could go on, when it got to those points where I didn't know if I even believed in God anymore, He said, I kept having this this meditational kind of thing in my mind. I kept imagining the Garden of Gethsemane, and I kept imagining Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. So that kept coming back to me and coming back to me, and then I realized what that was all about. And I thought about when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane himself, and if he wasn't depressed, at the very least, he was anguished, anguished, and yet still look at what he did for me. Even in the midst of my pain, I realize he can pull me out of this. And he went on to say, so when I get to those points even today or maybe tomorrow, when it's difficult for me to believe, to hope, to take one more step, in my mind, in my spirit, in my heart, I go to the garden. I go to the garden of Gethsemane, and I see Jesus there, and I lay my burden down before him, and I let Jesus believe for me. I let Jesus be hope for me. And that's what Jesus can do for us. (laughs) Ultimately, he took the darkest of humanity, the darkest of human experience, and placed that with himself on the cross. And later on, you know what happened, and out of that, we gain the greatest of hopes. We can be hope for one another, because ultimately, he is the greatest of hopes. Let's pray together. And this is what I'd like for you to do. I want you to, again, to think about someone, and it could be yourself. And please, without embarrassment, pray for yourself. But I want you to, to think of someone, if it's you or someone else, that's, that's battling some darkness in their life right now. They are despairing over something, whether it's, it's financial or the loss of someone special to them, or they're just battling the, the biochemical propensity toward depression that some people simply have. Would you just simply pray silently for that person, whether it's you or someone else, and just lift them up silently to God right now? Lord, to repeat Frank's words, when life is darkness, it isn't that God is far away. It is only that we are blinded by the nearness of God. We pray for those who come to our minds right now who are in dark places, who are in dark corners of their souls, and we pray that they would find the light of your presence, and if it means that they can only find that through our presence in their lives and by small acts of kindness we can offer, may we be the hope that they need to see, to witness, that they can walk in newness of life. And Lord, all of us here confess just how frail and fragile we are, and we acknowledge our brokenness to you, and we acknowledge how easy it is to fake it in terms of our outward appearances when our inner life is just in turmoil. Forgive us when we become hypocritical in trying to hide our brokenness. Help us to be honest about it, that we might begin the healing process, and out of that might we become wounded healers for others who need to see your power through our weakness. Be with us now, O God, during this time of commitment. We pray these things in your name. Amen.